0: Listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to CityLightSouth.org.au. We are launching a new series this morning called Watch Your Mouth. It's one that I'm looking forward to. It's one, and the reason I'm looking forward to is because I need this one. This is so right where I am right now, and I, I think maybe a lot of us are in the same boat. We know inherently just how powerful. Our words are. I'm sure all of us have, you know, you can think of times that other people have really changed the course of your life by speaking words of encouragement, or on the flip side, perhaps words of discouragement. Some of the very people who are, who are so close to us are the people who have the ability and the power to encourage us with just a, a few words, or to crush us with a few words. And of course, we're not just the creators of words, but we are the recipients of the, wor- of the, of the very words of God, which, which the Bible tells us is what sustains us, that God carries us along every single day by the word of his power. The Bible's called the word of God. The Bible's full of words. Actually, I Googled this this week, just in case you were wondering, if you read the King James Bible, how many words are in this cover to cover, not including the footnotes and the maps and all of that. 780,000. Our God is a speaking God. And so it makes sense that when God created you and me, he created us with the ability to speak in the same way that he speaks and that our words have power in the way that his words have power. Not in the same way, but in a similar way. It also makes sense then that God's enemy, the devil, will use language, use words, to kind of mess up everything that God is trying to accomplish. In the book of Genesis, we see this. The very first thing that God does is not to flex his muscles. It's to speak. Let there be light. And everything comes into existence in a second. God didn't use power tools, not even one of those little Ikea things. He just spoke, and the world came into being. Words can be tools. They can also be weapons. They can be sharper than knives. They can be used to heal or to harm, depending on the intent of the one wielding the words. Words, as I think a a philosopher once said, make worlds, and it's it's true. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. Let me tell you more specifically why we're doing this series. It's really all about the future. It's about Your future, it's about the future of our neighbors and our communities. Our words have the power to shape the future. Uh, Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, it's probably one of the most, I think, one of the most sobering and difficult sayings of Jesus. Here's what he says about your future and my future. He says, I tell you on that day of judgment, people, that's everybody, will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. And I wonder, I read that and go, man, do I do I think about that? Do I reflect on, do I believe that? It's a glimpse into my future, but do I really, how much time do I spend thinking about that? Uh, or do I just, you know, speak on autopilot? I mean, because I can tell you if you're like me. If on that screen, instead of a Bible verse, you were to just read all of the words that I spoke out loud in the past 24 hours or the words that I thought most of you would run out of the room. You'd think, why is this guy talking to us? He has nothing to say. All of us struggle with to, to control the things that come out of our mouths. But this future of giving an account for everything that comes out, that is a guaranteed future for us. And then... The Bible talks about our neighbor's future as well. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is full of wisdom and warnings. It's one of the most common topics of the book of Proverbs is the mouth, our words, our language. For example, Proverbs 18 verse 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Same proverb in the New Living Translation makes it a little bit easier um, to understand the meaning. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And I say that as someone who talks somewhat as part of my job. Um, We reap the consequences for the words that we speak, not just for ourselves, but we see those consequences ripple out into the lives of the people around us, in the lives of our hearers. Think about how words, good and bad, can shape a child we have the power as parents or in people who have influence over kids teachers others we have the power to call out courage and confidence in kids we also have the power to crush them we have the power in our workplaces to use words to kind of shape the atmosphere of the whole place. Is this going to be a place of mutual encouragement and teamwork and productivity? Or is it going to be a place of grumbling and backbiting and gossip? There's a lot of power in our words. Let me tell you where we're going with this series. Today, I'm going to talk a lot about the kind of the negative, the problem that we have with the mouth. Next week, I'm going to talk a lot more about this solution, what we do about it. And then the weeks after that, I'm going to do some three weeks of kind of some practical application, look at specific topics. So we're going to do one week on encouragement, um, a week on prophecy, and then a week on social media. Those are the kind of the three practical applications that we're going to look at in this series. So this morning, we're going to start with What I think is the classic passage in the New Testament on our words, and it's in the book of James. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Now, I'm going to ask us to do something a little bit unusual. I don't know if we've done this before, but I'm going to read this, and I'm going to ask as I read it that we would stand up as I read um, God's Word this morning. So if you could stand with me. All right. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible Bible. James writes, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to also to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one contain the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. All right, you can have a seat. This is God's word. I'm going to pray and then we'll we'll jump into this text for this morning. So join me as I pray. Lord God, I I need your help as I unpack this passage, your word. Lord, I ask in the words of the psalmist that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and your sight and life-giving to those who hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't think anybody really in this room at this point needs me to tell you that our words can get us in trouble. We, we've all been there. We've all been in those, ta- in those moments. We could, uh, you know, if you think about the screen, words, your words, if they were flashing up on the screen, we might be looking for the exits. And, and, and none of us are alone in this. This letter that James wrote, if you go back to chapter 1, this is what I find so interesting about this passage, because, I mean, this is a familiar passage to a lot of us, but this is something I didn't think about till I was actually preparing this message. If you go back to chapter 1 of James, who is he writing to? Who is this letter written to? You would think that maybe he's writing this letter to a bunch of young, newbie Christians who, have just, who are just a bit rough around the edges, who just, you know, it's a little bit, you never know what's going to come out of their mouths. But he's not, is he? If you go back to chapter 1, who's he writing to? He's writing to men and women who have been Christians for a long time. And not only have they been Christians for a long time, they have been through the fire. These are people who have been thrown out of their homes who have lost jobs, who have been refugee, literal refugees for Jesus. They are scattered abroad. And then he goes and says, consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because these things are producing endurance in you. These are the people he's writing to, people that we would look to and go, wow, the world is not worthy of them. They are like Jesus in almost every way. And yet, he writes to these brothers and these sisters and says... Your tongue is is a fire. And we think if if these men and women are going find it difficult to control and be intentional with their words, how much more then for us who often are living lives of self-indulgence? And I put myself in that category. And so these words are should really, we should really listen up and listen in to what God has to say. These men and women had been tested. And yet, still found it difficult, and so that means that if you find it difficult, if I find it difficult to control my mouth, you're in good company, and and I don't know, you know, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I mean, it's it's better that we're in good company, I guess. We should, you know, not be too hard on ourselves, but yet then we can come back to this other sinking feeling of like, well, if these guys can't do it, how, what hope do we have? i want to start with verse 1. James is speaking to these seasoned saints, and he says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Well, what is it about us teachers of the Bible um, that makes us subject to a higher standard? Well, it's our, it's our words. We talk. It's, part of, it's what we do. It's our tool of the trade, is our, is our words. Teachers talk a lot. Now, don't just think this is about doctrine. Okay, because I think it's, it's easy to think, okay, we just have to be really careful that when we speak and when we preach that we don't preach anything that's unbiblical. And that's true. That's, that's certainly true. It's part of it. But it's more than that. It's not just about the content of our teaching. It's about, for, for me, I'll, I'll speak as a teacher, that what I say up front or when I'm leading a Bible study or when I'm posting something on social media, that all of my words— and my, my, my actions are a true reflection of the spirit and attitude of Christ. All of them. So, so my, my, my behavior, my, my attitude, my motivation, all of it counts. It's not simply that my, my doctrine, well, I get my theology right. I got all full marks on that. And so I can, it doesn't matter if I love the people I am speaking to. No, it absolutely does matter, right? That's why he says not many should become Teachers, because we are held to a higher standard, will receive stricter judgment. I want to come, I'll come back to that in a minute, but if you look at verse two, it's, he says, if, if someone is able to control their mouth and not stumble in their speech, that person is totally mature. They, they've arrived. They are as, as close to Jesus as you can get in this life. If you can control what's coming out of your mouth, does that surprise you? I think some, sometimes we can think that there are other parts of our body or other aspects of our behavior that are a lot harder to control than our speech, whether it be our, um, our sex drives or something else like that. But the Bible is very clear that it's actually your mouth is the hardest thing to control about you. Your words, you see, more than anything else about you, represent the heart of a speaking God. It's what it means that you were created in His image. And so we, we can't be careless about this, particularly those of us who stand up and claim to speak for God or to, to explain His word. And, and again, not just professional quote unquote teachers, but also anybody that is in a discipling relationship or a position of influence, that your role is to pass on the faith from one person to the next, from one generation to the next. We ought to be especially mindful that our mouths show the world our maturity. It's the barometer, more than, really more than anything else. And, and I think often when we, when we think about it, we don't always think that way. We, we, we kind of can get focused on other aspects of sin and, and holiness, and we forget. We, we don't pay enough attention to what comes out of our mouths. All right, I want to show you from this text... At least five ways that our mouths can betray or show or manifest our sin and our immaturity and then misrepresent God to our hearers. Five ways our mouths can injure. And then I'm going to finish with a bit of mouthwash. How do we begin to get this part of us under control? Well, the first way our mouths can injure is a sin of omission. It's where we fail to speak when we ought to speak. And we don't often start here. We think we, you know... Immediately, our minds jump to, oh, I, you know, I, I got angry and I yelled at this person or I said a word that was, uh, you know, crass or something like that. We, we go there, but sometimes we forget, and I think we need to start here, that often where our mouths get in trouble is actually through our silence, through not speaking when we ought to. Um, in verse 3, he, James starts with the, all these really poignant illustrations. First one he uses is, is uh, the illustration of the horse, he talks about how a massive animal, a massive beast, that is a horse, is controlled by just a tiny little bit in the mouth. And that makes a huge difference because, you know, a horse is a beautiful and a very useful creature, but without being tamed, without that bit in the mouth, sorry to be crass, but a horse is just a creature that poops all day long. That's, that's really, it's not particularly useful. And yet a horse with a bit in its mouth, a horse that is, living, is submitted to its master, a horse that is living out its purpose, is an animal that has the potential to conquer kingdoms. If your life's purpose is to glorify God by representing who he is to other people, then you've got to see how important it is to have your mouth under control, under his control, God has words for your mouth to speak that you will only speak when you are under his control, when you let him take the reins of your life. See, there are people in your life, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, who need encouragement. And when we don't speak words of encouragement, when we have the opportunity, we are not faithfully representing God. There are people you know who need to hear truth spoken in love. And sometimes, if you're like me, out of fear or out of laziness, we just stay quiet. It'd be a bit like, you know, if you were a lifeguard at the beach and you see a shark approaching swimmers of the water and you just go, eh, not really. I, don't, I just don't really feel like yelling at the moment. You know, when you have the ability to use your mouth to warn others of spiritual danger and you don't do it, that's a problem. That's a lack of love. It's a lack of faithfully imaging God in that moment. There's a lot of people in the world today who need advocates, who need people to speak up for them because they cannot speak up for themselves because they are oppressed or suffering injustice. And they need men and women who know Jesus to speak for them and not worry about the, the consequences, not worry about drawing the fire We think, again, like I said, that we get in the most trouble when our mouths fire off too quickly, but we can just as easily hurt others through our silence when speaking is vital. So don't let the fear of misspeaking cause you to miss the reason that God gave you a mouth in the first place. Second way our mouths can misrepresent God and injure people is by speaking carelessly. You see the illustration that James uses of the ship and the rudder in verse 4. Just like the tiny bit helps control the massive horse, so also the small rudder controls the giant ship, controls its direction. But see, unlike a horse, though, a ship, um, if it, without a rudder, is not going to stay still if it's in the open sea. It's going to move. It just won't move in any particular direction other than wherever the current and the wind is going. The rudder is not what makes the ship cause, it's not what causes the ship to move, it's what causes it to move in a particular direction. And think about this. We humans, if we have the ability to speak, we're going to speak. But without intentionality, without knowing why it is we've been given opportunities, given a mouth at all, then we're just going to speak randomly, carelessly, aimlessly, and not benefit our hearers in the way that we're called to benefit them. Think about, you know, we often, I, you know, I have teenagers, well, I have kids, and I, and I have a I have a mouth, and I'm thinking, you know, it is, we're always having to remind ourselves, how is it that my words are going to land on the hearers? Coming back to teachers, I was just listening to a lecture this week on how to be a better teacher, and it was like, you know, one of the biggest obstacles we face is that we often, uh, teach with a teacher-centered perspective rather than a hearer-centered perspective. And, 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 and that's true in relationships as well. We have to t- take time and think, you know, I know what I meant. I didn't mean that because we didn't take enough time to think about how those words are going to land on the person hearing you know, I, I remember sitting one time in a, in a meeting where, where someone was advocating for someone who felt hurt by something that I had done. And, and they said to me, they said, you know, you, you just don't understand. You think you have loved that other person, but that person doesn't feel loved. And if that person doesn't feel loved, then you haven't actually properly loved them. We have to think about how our words are going to land. We have to be intentional and careful so our words can speak carelessly. They can also speak destructively. The next illustration James uses is very applicable and you know, creates a lot of vivid imagery for us here in Australia. It's the image of a, a spark, tiny spark, creating a massive bushfire. You know, we were in Kangaroo Island in 2020, just a few months after the massive fires that uh, burnt 52% of the island. The scenes there were just out of this world. You know, scenes that, you know, you'd be expecting the green lush carpet and all you see is just charred sticks everywhere. And it all started with just one tiny, tiny spark. The same tiny spark that powers your gas heater and your car, you know, caused just massive devastation. You know, just back in 2015, up in Pinery as well, it was just a, one spark from a car battery. One spark, and and, and a week later, $170 million worth of property damage, two lives lost, 90 people injured. It just takes one tiny spark. And James says, the tongue is that spark. It's tiny and yet can set an entire world on fire. Our mouths can sometimes speak destructively by accident, like I said before, carelessly, Far too often, our mouths speak this way on purpose. We know the damage that we're going to cause, and because it just feels good to say that thing, we do it anyway. You know, think about people in life who just do this a lot you know, people who just go around tearing down people with their words. Um, You know, I think you don't often, or we don't often think that we have a lot of people like that in the church. We do, sadly, but. I think More often than not, in the church, we find people who develop kind of this unchecked habit of being judgmental, criticizing, complaining, no attempt, really, to balance it out. Occasional gratitude, occasional encouragement, but mostly it's just negative. These are the folks that will kill you over time with a thousand eye rolls. Um... We've been doing the alpha parenting course with a few families from the church lately. And in the second session, um, there's one of the people they interview on there. He's, a, he's a, I think, a child psychologist. And he tells a story of a woman, an adult woman, who was very bitter in, in life. And he was trying to understand why. What, where did this bitterness come from? And she told him the, the story of the last interaction that she had had with her mother. Um, her mother on her deathbed, the last thing that she said to her daughter was, your glasses are on crooked. Now, that's not, you know, you wouldn't think that, you know, that can be said in just a helpful, innocuous kind of way. But for, for, for this woman, those kinds of comments were the only things that she ever heard from her mom. And it caused her to become bitter and disillusioned. Words, even words that aren't necessarily sounding cruel, can be destructive. Unless we form habits and we are so resolutely committed to building people up and encouraging them with our words. I I wish I could tell you this gets better, but it actually is going to get worse before it gets better. Okay, so just buckle up. Um, Because not only can our words fail to speak when they ought to, Not only can we speak carelessly and destructively, our words, according to James, can speak for hell itself. We can be like the public relations team for hell. What what does he mean? He says in verses 6 to 8, the tongue is a fire. It is a, a world of unrighteousness that stains and corrupts the whole body. And then he says it sets the course of our lives on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. Those are James's words. So that's not me being dramatic. He goes on to say poetically that every animal can be tamed except the tongue. It is, and he calls it a deadly poison. So what's he calling us to do here? Is he calling us to say, you know, we just need to cut our tongues out and never speak again? Slap some duct tape on? Take a vow of silence? I mean, maybe. There are times when that might be good for, for me. Maybe we all just need to go out and hire our own public relations firm to that you know before we ever speak, we just we have to get everything vetted. be like no that, that's okay no, please don't say that, especially don't say that to your spouse you know he's using vivid language here to drive home a point that when we actively or passively just refuse to control our speech, we are actively resisting god's purposes for our speech, which means when we're actively resisting God's purposes, that we are on the side of hell. We talked about the bushfires earlier. I, um, I don't know if you know this, but in, near where I grew up in the U.S. state of Pennsylvania, there is a fire that is burning there that is out of control. It's been burning for 60 years. True story. The reason it's been burning for 60 years is that it's burning underground. It's burning in a, in a coal seam. And the result of this fire, which started in 1962, 20 years later, in the early 1980s, there was a town, the town of Centralia, Pennsylvania, which was on top of this coal seam. It had to be evacuated. And the reason is that the fire, in, in the progress of this fire, occasionally they found that it would, these, these sinkholes were opening up on top, and these gases would kind of just suddenly escape, you know, geyser style, out of the ground. And they were, the gases were like carbon monoxide and other things which were very toxic for people. And so the whole area had to be abandoned and evacuated. It's a, it's a picture of how the forces of evil work, hiding under the surfaces, hiding in the recesses of our hearts, and then suddenly, in a moment of weakness, psh, the words escape. And the damage is done. And that's, that's the devil's aim. That's how he works. He is out to steal and kill and destroy the souls of people. It's the very opposite of God's aim. And he often does this through our words. James goes even further in verses 9 to 10. He, he observes and then laments that you and I can come to church. We can sing praise. We can praise God with our preaching, our, our right theology, our Christian language. And in the same breath or the same day, sometimes to the same people, we turn and use our mouths to tear others down, to belittle them, to judge, to lie. You know, there's this thing, this thing we joke about even in church, like, you know, how often it is as families, you know, we're in the car, like, screaming at each other on the way home. As soon as we get to the front door, all that's forgotten. And we're smiling and shaking hands and singing. But there's more serious examples of this in the church, isn't there? Think about in our history, just even in in recent history. Think about, sadly, how much of our colonial history is, is full of supposed Christian people doing horrific things. Not in spite of Christ, but in the name of Christ, carrying crosses, burning crosses, using the Bible and the church as a weapon. And you, know, you don't have to be like a, a, a racist openly or a neo-Nazi to bl- blaspheme with your words. Blasphemy is whenever we curse with our mouths the things that God has blessed. That's what blasphemy is. It's cursing with our mouths the things that God has blessed, and that includes people. People created in his image, people who he's blessed. And by cursing people, I'm not talking about just simply disagreeing with someone. That's not cursing them. I'm not talking about lovingly warning a person of the consequences of sin. That can be a a way of blessing a person. No, I'm talking about speaking to them or about them with no regard to their well-being. By cursing people, it's actively or passively harming them with our words, ignoring, belittling, condemning, slandering, gossiping, refusing or failing to share the gospel, just being content with trivial talk and, and, and banter, just joking, just a lot of joking around and no like serious talk of the gospel and things that are central to who we are. And you know, joking around, joy and humor are gifts from God. They really are. But man. If that's all we do, if we hide behind just humor and banter as a way of shirking of the responsibility to use our words for God's glory, then we are cursing people. We're cursing the people in our lives rather than blessing them. We are part of the problem, and we need to grow up into maturity. If You want to make a difference for Jesus in the gospel, then man, you've got to learn to speak like you mean it. Now spent a lot of time this morning diagnosing the problem, so we might be feeling a bit discouraged or convicted. I, I feel convicted about this, but so the, the big question is, and that's where we're going from here, is what do we do about it? What do we do about it? And this morning, I'm just going to scratch the surface, and we'll talk more, much more about this next week. I hope you can see that the standard for our speech here is not just about swearing. It's not just about not swearing. I mean, that's a good place to start for some of us. Um, and again, the reason for that is not because God has you know, tender ears that can't stand to hear certain combinations of letters put together. The reason swearing is a problem is because it's, again, an example of speech that has no concern for our hearers, no concern for how we're imaging God when we speak. It, it's often cursing people. Um, who are made in his image. You know, it's just another way of saying, God, you know, it's my mouth, my body, my choice, so buzz off. Why does it matter? Well, James shows us in verses 11-12. He says that what comes out of your mouth shows the world who you are. Fresh water comes out of fresh springs. Salty water comes out of salty springs. Figs come from fig trees, grapes from grapevines, olives from olive trees. And a mouth that is constantly injuring people without regard or care betrays a heart that is not submitted to God's purposes. On the other hand, a mouth that imperfectly and sometimes inconsistently seeks to bless to encourage, to build up, to speak truth in love is a mouth that indicates a heart that has been transformed by God's grace. One of the earliest Christian preachers is um, a man who resolved to speak only the words that God would give him to speak, Um, quoted the Old Testament. And he said this about where we're at. This is where we're at, guys. He says, there is no one who does good not even one. And where's the evidence for that? Right here. He says their throat, talking about the mouth, is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. What's he saying? He's saying, us humans, we, our mouths, our words show the world who we really are. Unrighteous sinners look and sound more like the serpent in Genesis 3 than the loving God who made us. And that's the problem. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? What we need is righteousness that comes not from within but outside of us to change the condition of our hearts. So then out of the overflow, and we'll talk about this next week, of our hearts, our mouths will speak words of truth and grace. Because Paul, the man who said those words I was reading just a moment ago, goes on to say in Romans 3 this. He says, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have stumbled in what we say. All of us. And yet, all of us can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You want to know why the gospel is necessary? Why the cross was necessary? Spend some time thinking about your words. Even if you've been a Christian for a decade, we have to be reminded that we are still works in progress. We have the righteousness of God through faith in Christ and we're being transformed every single day by that same righteousness so that we can live and move and speak in accordance with who we already are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, our mouths do not become instantly perfect overnight. So if you're like me and you struggle and, you, and it's, it's hard and you have find yourself hum, having to be humble and repent and apologize a lot, you're in good company. You really are. It takes a lifetime of training and encouragement and intentionality and the work of God's Spirit in us. I know a lot of us um, could actually testify if you if I gave you the microphone to men and women who have blessed you with their words who have made you and shaped you into who you are today because they spoke words of life and truth and hope and encouragement and warning, perhaps even. And you are here, in the, safe in the arms of the Father because of the words of someone else. You know, Jesus, he spoke not, a, not, not many words um, when he was dying on the cross, but, you know, the three last words that he spoke are the words, It is finished. It's finished. And, and, and the moment that you and I meet him face to face, if you are in Christ, you will hear those words because he will look at you and say, It is finished. Everything that he planned to accomplish in you will have been accomplished. It's finished. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's finished. He's finished the work in you. And we believe that in faith. We do. So let's take up the challenge to watch our mouths, to make an effort so that tomorrow, the the crop that we harvest tomorrow from our words will be sweeter and more abundant and life-giving than today's. There's a world of people around us who are literally starving for life-giving words, words that make the worlds we want to see in and live forever, live in forever. Join me in prayer. Lord, thank you that you have given us the privilege to speak in the way that you speak. Lord, we know that your words are powerful and true, that it's by your words that we have life, that it's by your words that we have our breath, by your words we're being changed and renewed day by day. God, may we, like you, would you teach us, Father, to use our words to bless, to praise, to encourage, to prophesy, to teach in ways that reflect who you truly are, that demonstrate to the world your love, your character, the hope that we have within us. God, teach us to speak like you. Teach us to speak the language of the gospel. Lord, and I just pray that as we come to the table this morning, that you would remind us exactly what was necessary and what is necessary for our mouths to be transformed, that we have by, the, by the, the spilling of your blood, we have your righteousness given to us. We thank you so much for that gift, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.